redeem and restore, not just physical things, uh, Lord, but, but lives. And so, God, please uh, be at work in the midst of this tragedy, uh, restoring uh, lives. Uh, God, thank you for uh, Melanie and for um, bringing her here this day. I pray you continue to bless her and her time with Heidi and uh, safety travel going back. And I pray uh, for His Grace Ministries. I just pray your blessing upon that church. And God, I pray that you'd use them powerfully uh, as they minister to the people of Lahaina. So thank you for our opportunity, Lord, uh, to partner uh, with your work. And we pray you'd bless us, um, Lord, with ideas uh, from you about how we, can, uh, how we can share what you've given to us. So we thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, thank you both. All right. Well, great opportunity uh, for us to tangibly uh, be doing the works of Jesus. And we're going to consider a little bit more about the person of Jesus. Uh, here we are in our fifth week of a teaching series through the gospel according to Mark. Um, uh, the last two weeks, uh, Bjorn spoke last week and Brendan the week before. And uh, we are working our way over ten weeks uh, through the whole gospel of Mark. So obviously we're not hitting every story, every verse. But we are walking through the narrative flow of this book. And what we see here as we go through the book of Mark is that Mark is presenting to us uh, the person of Jesus as a king. Um, Jesus has come as, as king to set right what has gone wrong in our world. And he, we see all the ways he's doing this. We see him proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, we see him calling apprentices, disciples, who are going to learn from him uh, how to live. We see him healing bodies and souls. We see him powerfully overcoming forces of evil. Uh, sickness, even death itself. You know, Jesus is able to speak and bring people back from the dead. Uh, and today, what we're going to see is that Jesus is setting right what has gone wrong by cleansing the human heart. Um, so I'm looking forward uh, to diving into this with you today. I'm going to invite you to stand, and I'm going to read from Romans chapter 7. Well, not Romans, <laughs> we're in the book of Mark. Uh, Mark chapter 7. Now, uh, something different today, we are not going to have this passage of Scripture on the screen, okay? So if you have a Bible, feel free to look at it or your device. Or if you want, um, you know, in years past, people would just stand and listen to the Word of God being read over them. Um, so listen to the words of the Lord. This is Mark 7, verses 1 through 23. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but with eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God. 
then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. The word of the Lord. You can sit down. Well, last week, uh, I was not here. Uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to travel down to uh, Virginia. Our, my, our, our middle daughter, Isabel, is a senior at the University of Virginia. Uh, uh, they are the spiders, if you didn't know that. And uh, it was family weekend on the campus at University of Richmond, and so we got to go down there and spend time with her. And so on Sunday, we had the privilege of going uh, with her to her church. Um, and it's a great church. We are so thankful that God has given her a wonderful spiritual community to be part of, and we really enjoyed worshiping with her. Uh, but also, it's a very different church than our church. It's much more formal. Um, it's a very liturgical church, so um, very scripted elements of the whole service. Uh, but they do a great job there. Um, they have a, a bulletin they print every week, like a 10-page bulletin, that lists the whole liturgy of the service with little notes explaining each element. So very helpful for new people to understand what is going on in this service. And on the cover of this bulletin, every week, there's always um, a beautiful piece of art, usually a historic painting, um, you know, something connected to the sermon for the day. So they're artistically just trying to convey the meaning through beauty. Well, um, as I was preparing uh, the sermon this week, I thought to myself, um, I probably could never work at that church. Uh, because this is the artwork that came to my mind for this week's sermon. <laughs> I thought quite appropriate, but I don't think really uh, Gary Larson is the height of artistic beauty. Um, so let, let that stimulate your mind and feed your soul, all right? Well, um, I put that up there not just as a joke. Uh, I actually, I put that, that up there because I think we all are tempted to come to this uh, passage today and almost have a Farside-like reaction to kind of look at it and chuckle or snicker and think, what relevance does centuries-old hand-washing rituals have for us today? Like, really? They're arguing over hand-washing? It's one of those passages we wonder, does a, bio, does a, does a story from 2,000 years ago really matter to us today? And what I want to say is, oh, it does. <laughs> uh, this morning, I want us to consider three things. First, it's the human need for cleansing. Second, the ineffectiveness of external cleansing, and then third, the heart-cleansing king, all right? So let's, let's dive in here. 
First, the need for cleansing, the need for cleansing. Uh, This story begins with the Pharisees and the scribes being gathered to Jesus. So let's first understand who they are. Uh, You'll see them listed a lot in the gospel accounts, the Pharisees and the scribes. They are two different groups with a ton of overlap. Uh, So the Pharisees are experts in the meaning and the application of Torah, uh, what we would call the Old Testament law. Uh, They are experts in understanding and then helping people know how to live God's laws. The scribes are experts in the text itself. So they are more the scholars. Uh, They are are diving into the original uh, language, so to speak, and the original writing. And so they're both looking at the text with a little different focus in terms of being experts. Application and original interpretation. Um, Both Pharisees and scribes have an incredibly high view of the scriptures. Actually, in some ways, scribes and Pharisees are quite similar to modern day evangelicals. Our church is an evangelical church. We have a very high view of the scripture. We believe the scripture is the word of God. We believe the scripture should be believed. The scripture should be obeyed. And we believe that this world would be better if people were obeying the scriptures. That's exactly what the Pharisees and the scribes felt. They were trying hard to get people to believe and obey the scriptures. Now, how they went about it was very different than how Jesus went about it, and there lied the rub, okay? But in terms of their view of the word of God, um, Jesus would commend them. He would say they believe the word of God. Um, So both Pharisees and scribes had a high view of scripture, and both the Pharisees and scribes had a low view of Jesus. High view of scripture, low view of Jesus. And this is not the first time Jesus has had a run-in with the Pharisees and the scribes. Back in chapter 2 and 3, we see a couple different run-ins, both around Sabbath issues, where Jesus' disciples, in one instance, are picking heads of grain on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees say, hey, they're breaking the Sabbath law. Um, What's up, Jesus? And then in another instance, uh, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, and they say, Jesus, you're working on the Sabbath. What's up? And so they have serious run-ins with Jesus, over how he is interpreting and then applying the Old Testament law. And these were not just uh, uh, fun debates. It said at the end of uh, the account where Jesus healed a man on a Sabbath, that they went out and took counsel together with the Herodians how they might kill him. Now, the Herodians are the political force of the day, um, the, 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 the Jewish people who have gone over, really are aligning themselves with Rome. This is their arch enemy for the Pharisees. And they're saying, okay, but we have a common enemy in Jesus. Let's figure out how to put him to death. That's the level to which their opposition had written, had risen already at this point. So Pharisees and scribes, high view of scripture, low view of Jesus, and they now come together uh, to really discredit him. And this time, they have a question for him about hand washing. Now, this is not just a concern over hygiene, Um, They're not overly concerned that Jesus is spreading germs. But what they're concerned about here is Jesus' interpretation and application of Old Testament law and what that meant for people being acceptable to God. So here's what I want us to connect today. Cleansing and acceptability go hand in hand. Cleansing and acceptability. And you see all these instructions in the Old Testament about how people needed to be clean to enter God's presence. Um, In Exodus, as the Israelites are leaving Egypt and heading to the promised land, God gives his people the law. 
And it's not just the Ten Commandments. There's all kinds of additional instructions about temple worship, about you know, propriety uh, in the home and in, in, in civilization. There are ceremonial laws and dietary laws. And, and one of the instructions God gave was for temple priests, that before going in to worship, they were to wash their hands. So in the temple, there would be a, a bowl for the washing of hands as priests would go in. Now, over the generations, interpreters of the law had decided, we want all people to be set apart for God like the priests are. So we want all people to wash their hands before they eat, just the way the priests wash their hands before going into the temple. So this aspect was not in the law, but frankly, it wasn't a bad application that these people had made about how people should honor God. So all good Jewish people would wash their hands before they ate as a sign that they were honoring God and they were being set apart for him. Now, um, so you can see how deeply seated in, in the mind of a good Jewish person is the idea of cleanliness and acceptability before God. And the Psalms echo this. Uh, Psalm 24, verses three through four. <laughs> I'm actually realizing today that I, I uh, sent myself the wrong set of notes. So bear, bear with me as I stumble through what I'm looking at here. It's not the, it's not the right notes. <laughs> uh, Psalm 24, uh, verses three to four. I was on the screen. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. You see what this is saying? Who can go up to the temple, the hill of the Lord? That's where the temple was. Who can go up to the temple? And then who can go into worship? Those with clean hands and those with pure hearts. And clearly, that's more than just the physical washing of hands. It's about lives that are pure and clean before God. Any good Jewish person would have this idea, I must be clean to go in before God. So Psalm 51, we read some of this this morning uh, during our time of worship. In Psalm 51, uh, it's a prayer of a person who knows they are not clean before God, saying, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And then later in this chapter, uh, the author writes, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me and cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now, what the author is saying here is challenging for modern hearers. And Tim Keller points it out, the book that a lot of us are reading right now, Jesus the King, he, he points this out in this book, that for modern secular society, uh, we kind of scoff at the idea that people are born into sin. The author said, from, from my mother's womb, there was iniquity. I was brought forth in sin. And to our modern sensibilities, we think, well, the real problems in life really have to do with um, you know, corporations and educational systems and government. And if we could get those things lined up, and working right, the natural goodness of people would just come out. We'd see humanity flourishing if we could address these kind of evils. But Keller points out well in this book that despite all of our modern society's focus on human goodness and progress, none of us can seem to shake the feeling that we are not quite right. All of us seem to struggle with feelings of guilt and shame. Um, there's a sense of not being clean and therefore not being acceptable. 
I mean, when I talk to people today, I find everyone struggling with a sense of acceptability, feeling like we're on the outside. I think that's because there's something in our human souls. We all know that we long to be clean and therefore acceptable. And, and since that's the case, since we have this longing for acceptability, I think all of us, in one way, shape, or form, are on a self-help uh, attempt to clean ourselves up externally. And it happens in a number of ways. Um, sometimes this is literally through physical effort, through physical exercise. I mean, if you're like me, I do feel better when I am exercising or when I'm eating healthy. Um, there's a sense of our, when we are well externally, we're kind of clean. And that's a good thing, but it's not an ultimate soul thing. Um, for other people, maybe it's not the physical cleaning themselves up. Maybe it's actually more of a relational kind of connection externally. If I could be in with the right group, if I could be in with uh, the right group at school, or the right fraternity, or sorority, or the right political group, if my political group could win, there's a sense of my side, the good side, the right side is vindicated, and there's a sense of cleanness that comes from being in with the right group. Or for others, it's maybe more like moral performance. You know, if I can do the right behaviors, and those behaviors kind of depend on our own personal value system. For some people, it might be, if I can really be a responsible person environmentally, if I can make sure I'm, I'm conducting myself well and, and not doing too much damage um, to the planet, I'll feel better about myself and clean. Or for others, it's maybe it's if I could be a, a financially independent and responsible person so that I'm not dependent on others, then I will feel good about myself and clean. We all have these different value systems. And then comes one more external kind of practice that Jesus was keying in on, and that is the external practice of religion. And here's what this one is really dangerous, because this one really gets tied in directly with God. Through external religious practices, we can attempt to go to church more, pray more, read the Bible more, give more, serve more, and think that by doing those things, we are somehow clean and acceptable. So, so whatever your take is, whether it's external physical effort, relational effort, moral effort, or religious effort, those are all external means by which we attempt to clean ourselves up. Now, for some of you, you may think, well, wait a minute, Sam. Nothing you mentioned there is wrong, is bad, is sinful. And you're right. None of those actions in and of themselves are bad things. I hope you do exercise. I hope you do hang out with good people. You know, I hope you do try to behave well. And even I hope you engage in religious practices. I hope you do all those things. But none of those things can meet our soul's deep longing for acceptance. And I think what's happening is people are trying to meet a soul hunger for acceptance before God through external practices, and it will never work out. So let's consider this, the ineffectiveness of external cleansing. It's the ineffectiveness of external cleansing. I mean, Jesus pointed out why this focus on the external is ineffective for meeting our soul's longing. He said in Mark 7, 21 through 23, for from within, out of the heart uh, of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evils come from within, and they defile a person. 
External cleansing can never address the problem of the human heart. No matter how hard we try, external means, we can never solve the dilemma of the human heart. And Jesus, in saying that all of this external focus could never make us clean, is also saying it can never make us acceptable. And that's why we have this pervasive sense of not being acceptable. Our hearts are whispering truth to us. Now, the way we tend to address this sense of guilt and shame in modern society is just to say, oh, you're okay. Like, just, you know, just think well of yourself. Now, I don't want you to think badly of yourself, but at the same time, we should think realistically of ourselves. What is going on within our human hearts? Now, often when Brendan has preached, he's used an illustration that I find very helpful. He'll say, you know, if we could somehow plug our, our mind or our heart, the inner part of us, into the TV screen here, and for all to see, show us what is going on within, would you want that? And I say, no way. I don't want people seeing what is going on inside of me, and none of us do, because we all know that the thoughts, the motivations, uh, the suspicions going on within us are, are not right, not good, not acceptable. And about that, we are correct. Now, you might say, this has not been a cheery sermon, Sam. Um, and you're right so far, but just wait, just wait. Let's consider the heart-cleansing king. Because that's where this is going. Now, in, in week one of this teaching series, um, we looked at Mark chapter one, verse one. And that very first book of Mark, started, the very first verse of Mark said, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how Mark starts, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the book of Mark goes on to tell us all about this gospel, this good news about who Jesus is and what he has done. The, all of Mark is telling us the good news of Jesus. And in that chapter one, we see Jesus proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what we see in chapter 1. That was his message. He proclaimed the kingdom of God is now available at hand, right here. Um, that's a declaration from Jesus. And we said that first week, we need to remember that the gospel is good news, not just good advice. See, good advice is, here's what you should do. You should exercise a little bit more. You should eat better. You should treat people better. You should go to church more. You should do all these things. And you know what? You should. But the problem is, we fail. We fall short of doing all the things we should do. And therefore, if it's on us to become clean, we will never become clean. Not fully, not completely. The gospel is not just good advice about what you should do. It's good news about what Jesus has done. Something has happened in history that changes how we live today. Something happened in the life of Jesus Christ that is good news to us here today. So what we see in Mark is um, again and again, Jesus is doing things that change others, and they weren't the ones that brought about the change. He healed people. He healed them. Um, you know, he brings people back from the dead. He did this. Jesus is doing these things, changing the lives of others. And it begins with this proclamation, this declaration from Jesus, the kingdom of God is at hand. The rule of God is coming into this broken world. And then here in Mark 7, we see another declaration, another proclamation. Jesus saying something that has happened. 
In, in Mark 7, after responding to the Pharisees and the scribes, um, he then gathered the people together to him. So he was talking just to the scribes and Pharisees. Then he's like, okay, this is so important. You all got to get in here. So he gathers everyone together, and he tells them that no food going into a person could defile them. And he said it's the things that come out of a person, the, the thoughts, the words, the actions coming out of a person. Those are the things that truly defile a human being. Now, we do not grasp how shocking this was for those people to hear. For us, we're like, well, of course, we, we get that. N- not to Jesus' first hearers. You see, they were steeped in God's law, the ceremonial law, the dietary law, which clearly said there were certain foods that defile a person. Certain foods that if you ate, mean you could not go into God's presence. These foods went into a person and defiled them. And here's Jesus saying, they do not. Again, uh, Tim Keller in the book we're reading has a really helpful teaching on this. Uh, let Let me give you a quote. He says, Greek experts and scholars agree. Jesus is saying, as of now, I make these foods clean. I called the world into being. I called the storm to halt. I called a girl back from the death. And now I call all foods clean. Now, the cleanliness laws are a part of the word of God. Jesus would never look at any part of it and say, I'm abolishing this. We've gotten beyond that now. So what he is saying here is that the cleanliness laws have been fulfilled. That everything God was doing through those laws throughout the hundreds of years leading up. We're all preparing for something. All those laws were telling us there's a need to be clean. There's a need to be clean to become acceptable. But the laws could not make any person clean. Someone who was here now who could. So Jesus is saying, everything that was written was leading up to me. I'm here to make you clean. He's declaring unclean food to be clean, and he's now declaring unclean people to be clean. It happens with a declaration. And we see this same kind of cleansing declaration by Jesus happen earlier in Mark. Uh, it happened to a man who had the disease of leprosy. Uh, back in Mark chapter 1, we didn't uh, go through this when we looked at Mark 1, but we will today. Uh, in, in Mark 1, we see this man with leprosy come to Jesus. Now, leprosy was a disease that made people unclean, according to God's law. These people could not enter the temple to worship. They, they could not be in public interacting with people, touching them. Uh, they, they couldn't even live with their families. They had to walk around literally saying, unclean, unclean, so people would not come in contact with them. So this man comes up to Jesus, and he says to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Now just think about that. He didn't say, if you will, you can heal me. If you will, you can fix my disease. If you will, you can make me clean. Do you see the completeness there? He's talking not just about healing, but also acceptability. You can cleanse me, body, soul, relationship, restored. If you will, you can make me clean. And I love Jesus' response in Mark 1, 41 to 42. It says, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. What was not permissible, according to the law, Jesus touches him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. 
Friends, the, the book of Mark is telling us about all the things Jesus is doing to restore broken, a broken world and broken people. And here, he is restoring this man with a touch and a declaration. He touches the man in his state of uncleanness. And what Jesus is saying is, before, um, uh, when this would happen, the uncleanness would go from the unclean person to the clean person, contaminating them. And the flow has been reversed. Now, Jesus, the clean one, is making the unclean people clean. Again, something has happened in history to change what is going on. With a touch, and then with a declaration, I will be clean. And he was. He was healed. He was restored to his life. He was clean. But this whole gospel account in Mark, as it's telling us all of these things that Jesus is doing to restore, it's not just telling us random snapshots. It's purposely leading us somewhere. It's leading us to a cross. It's leading us to the culmination of what Jesus would do to restore a broken world. And what we see happen in this cross is that once again, Jesus' hand is stretched out to heal unclean people. His hand is stretched out, and then with a declaration, he makes all who come to him clean, acceptable, right with God. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8-9 through 9 tells us this, that if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a big word there, all. I don't know what today makes you feel unclean, but I know this, it's included in the word all. So whatever it is you come here today with that your soul is weighed down by, Jesus the cleansing king promises to make it clean. With a word, with a declaration, he declares what is unclean now to be clean. And this radically then adjusts and changes how we live. And we see the leper run back home uh, his weight lifted, restored to relationship. And in a similar way, we interact differently when we realize the cleanliness we have in Jesus Christ. No longer trying to meet a soul longing through external means, trying to feel clean through our, making our bodies fit, healthy, or looking perfect. No longer trying to behave perfectly moral and thinking, if we can just be a little bit better, I'll finally feel better about myself. No longer going through the motions of religion thinking we can make ourselves acceptable to God. We have this freedom that we can go forth because Jesus Christ has made us clean and acceptable. So my question for you this morning is, uh, have you come to Jesus Christ for this declaration? For some of you, this may be the first time of saying, you know what, that is exactly what my soul needs. Uh, I need that sense of cleanness. Jesus come, he has died for our sin, he has risen and he offers us his life. This heart is available to all who trust in Jesus. But we also know that though we receive this new heart, this clean heart, we're still living this side of heaven. So we're still dealing uh, with bodies and with minds that aren't yet perfectly like Jesus Christ. So there's still need for ongoing cleansing. Yes, Jesus' work was enough for all of our sin, but as we continue to confess our sin to him, we are learning to apply his work to our day-to-day -day lives. And so even for Christians who have long ago come to Jesus Christ for cleansing, there is a need to continually, regularly come to Jesus Christ 
to confess our sins and experience his forgiveness. So every week in our services, we have opportunities. You know, we sing songs reminding us about our need for confession, for Jesus' mercy. We have opportunities to pray together. And we know this, that if Jesus Christ was willing to give his life for our sins, he is certainly willing to forgive us for our sins. That's why he died. So my invitation to you today is come to the heart-cleansing king, whether for the first time or whether for the millionth time. Come, confess your sin, and be clean. Will you stand with me? Lord God, we are so thankful that you have not treated us as our sins deserve. But as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our sin from us. And we know how this happened. We know you removed it by placing it on Jesus. Jesus, thank you for taking our sin and giving us your righteousness. And Lord, we long to be clean. And we know that in Christ we are, but we also know that we continue to struggle with what Paul would say is the body of death. And so Lord, would you continue to help us to come to you again and again and again. Uh, You, Lord, who is by one act forever made perfect, those who are being made holy. So God, please help us to continue to trust you. We know that nothing can separate us from your love. Uh, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the forgiveness you have given to us. God, I pray for us this week. God, I pray that you'd help us not only to be receiving from you the cleansing that you offer, but God, I pray that we would interact with others as cleansed people. Uh, Lord, freeing us up uh, to be able to give away the love and the mercy that you have so generously given to us. So thank you, and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.